All right, so we're talking about protecting innocence, okay? And it's the third week for us in the series. Um, who was on Facebook yesterday? Uh, short little video I made with my kids. Did you guys see that? I had, like, my kids, like, all over me, and five people are on Facebook. This is crazy. I mean, like, you guys are just, wow, I'm impressed. All right. Uh, so, uh, uh, basically, that video, it's the first one I made in a while. It, it seems really easy and short, but those videos are a pain in the butt to make. They really are. Because, like, for me, I'm not high energy anyway. And so I do, I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> so it takes me quite a few different attempts to do it. And, and uh, it was just one of those days where, like, nothing worked well. Like, the phone was messing up or, like, the lighting or the kids would, like, okay, this one video was perfect. My little girl was just kind of like, uh, how do you put that? Sleep humming? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, per, yeah, it, yeah. She's praying until she gets older, and then we call it something else, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, snoring, just like her mama. Okay. She's not here today, so I can say whatever I want. We uh, had this perfect video, you know, and right to the end of it, all of a sudden you hear this blood-curling scream, you know? Of course, it... <laughs> It's my other two children who are fighting over a toy, and the one's, like, biting the other one and punching them. And I was like, you know, protecting innocence, everybody. Oh, <laughs> uh, what ended up happening in this whole thing, and it's just so stupid, you know. Um, I've been trying to get it done for about an hour, and finally, you know, like, the kids are freaking out. So I come storming out of the room, and I'm like, you better shut your mouth, or else daddy's making a video. <laughs> And of course, Nisa wakes up. <laughs> Here comes Mama Bear. She walks out and she says, You really going to make a video after you yelled at your kids <laughs> about protecting innocence? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. So, anyways, I've got lots of those stories. Uh, we'll see how that goes today. But, you know, it's just a perfect example of this whole thing. You know, it's, it's something so silly as hearing him, you know, trying to do something important, right, yeah, right, you know, you know, something important or something serious or whatever, and somehow my kids end up being the one that are the ones who receive the frustration or the anger, because again, you know, yes, the kids racked it up, but I was really frustrated because I've been trying to make this stupid video for an hour, right, and we, that's what I'm really mad about, right, and so, of course, all this stuff comes out, and I'm sitting there going, well, I'll have to share that tomorrow morning for sure. So here we are, and you know, um, we're talking about, you know, it's so hard to keep these kids safe. We know that. It's just, you know, uh, on Facebook or on the news, you're always hearing some, like, terrible story, right? Do not ever watch the news. Children die in so many terrible ways, and it just makes you full of fear. I'm trying, I'm trying to get too serious yet, so I'm kind of saying it lightly, but you know what I'm talking about. If you read, uh, if you're on Facebook, if you watch the news, I mean, there is just so much bad out there. It happens every day. And so we're always so worried about how do we keep these kids safe. But again, the one thing that we rarely think about is, you know, how do we protect our kids from us sometimes? You know, and, uh, and counseling, in my time counseling and also my time as a youth pastor, I really got to see how much harm we as parents do to our children, not on purpose, okay, but just the stuff that just happens, okay, and the way it affects our kids. Um, in counseling, I'd say at least nine out of ten times, the issues that we deal with, you know, in the offices, the counseling with marriage counseling, whatever, it all goes back to childhood. 
It all goes back to this issue or this thing that happened to them. And often it's with parents. And it's with parents who love their kids. It's not bad parents. It's good parents. It's good parents who just made mistakes because we're all going to make mistakes. But as I was praying and thinking about this, I really wanted to kind of uncover, you know, what things can we do, you know, to, to kind of protect them and to kind of insulate them even from us. And so in this, um, last night I was doing research about this kind of stuff and, and uh, started thinking about my son Jude. He is about to turn five on Tuesday. And I want to say about a year ago, you know, he is like the most like just calm, chilled out, collected child that I've ever seen in my life. Until a year ago. And about a year ago, you know, um, he, he started having these weird little things happen. He'd be playing, and like, uh, let me think, his Legos just wouldn't like go together the right way. And he would just flip out. I mean, throw it, start screaming. I'd be like, what happened? Who's, who's hurting you? You know, and the Legos won't go together. You know, and you're like, man, I'm not sure like what to do here, you know. And so, you know, we started to correct him, get after him. No, you, you know, you, you, can't react, you can't react that way. You have to control your emotions, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, Nisa, uh, this one day we were praying about it, we were talking about it, she, she said, you know, I think there's something else going on. And the more we talked and prayed about it, the more we noticed he was picking up on the stress that we were carrying. How terrible is that, right? You're like, oh, I'm a terrible parent. You know, what was happening is, you know, his environment was becoming uh, energized, if you would, okay? And so he's picking up on just the, the, the frustration or the angst or whatever. And so, you know, him and his little four-year-old body, you know, uh, he's just reacting to what he's experiencing. And so, uh, and so with this, I was like, there has to be something to this. So I started researching it and uh, found this article. It, it's called... Generation X to Generation Stress. Generation X to Generation Stress. I think it was by CNN. And so what the study found was that the Gen Xers had started being some of the most stressed out generations in history because of technology and, like, you know, the culture's speeding up. We have so much to do. We're so busy. We always have this thing and that thing and all, that, all this kind of stuff. And so they became one of the most stressed out generations. But as the Gen Xers are having children... All of a sudden, the Gen Xers have produced something else, the generation of stress. So we're talking about anyone from children from ages 1 to 10, about right now, maybe even 14 in that area. And basically, Gen Xers, without knowing it, have been raising children in these environments of stress and strife and frustration. And these kids at young ages were, uh, how you, what were they saying? They started testing these kids at 3 to 7 years old and finding these, these huge numbers of kids who were four years old showing signs of depression. Four-year-old being depressed. What in the world is going on? Uh, mental disorders and emotional syndromes and all these just terrible things were happening to these kids. And, and simply put, it, it was these parents who loved their kids, but what was in them was being transferred into their children. And so here again, we find ourselves at this impasse. What are we going to, how do we keep our children safe? How do we pass on all the good and screen out the bad? If you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open it up. We're going to go to uh, Ephesians 6, verse 1. 
we're going to read it through four. If you guys have the NASB up there, we're going to use that. Here's what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. We all know this part, right? My parents used to tell me every time, you need to obey us so you live a long time. And we all know like, what the inverse of that is, right? <laughs> if you're not obeying us, yeah, all your parents are using that against your kids, right? <laughs> I've done the same thing. But here's the next part, which I would quote back to my parents. Huh? Yeah? Being a PK, you know, uh, some benefits. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. You're provoking me. It's your fault I'm disobeying. If, if you guys have kids in the room, just put your hands over their ears. Just. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, uh, the word here, the Greek word being used, because, uh, you know, I saw this, this word here, provoke, and I thought, man, I, I wonder what the Greek is to that. Now, the Greek here to that word uh, provoke uh, I'm not going to try to say it, Paragadizo. that's actually pretty close, Paragadizo. okay, and what it means is to arouse wrath, to exasperate, to provoke, and its sister word means to stir up. Now, Colossians uh, 3.21 has a very similar kind of line here where uh, he encourages children to obey their parents, and he tells fathers again, don't exasperate your children. Again, this word, to stir up. And so what's going on here, when you break it down in the Greek, what it's saying is, parents, do not be, how do you put this? Do not be cultivating, do not be raising up, do not be stirring up anger and wrath in your children. And in Colossians, it says, in uh, Colossians 3.21 through 22, it says, do not exasperate your, children, your children, or they will lose heart. Do you, do you hear that? When you stir up the strife and stress and wrath and anger in them, when, when you, in essence, are gardening, when you are, you're cultivating, you're raising up, you're pulling out of them the wrong things, what's going to happen is these children are going to lose heart. Now, when you lose heart, it's not just an emotional thing. When you lose heart, the way the Jews understood heart, you, in essence, are losing direction. Okay, so when someone would lose heart, they're losing their identity, they're losing their direction in life, and their willingness and ability to pursue that direction. So whenever we as parents are cultivating, we're stirring up, we're pulling out of them strife and anger and wrath, we are, in essence, crushing their identity. In Christ. Heavy yet. <laughs> so I want to see if it showed up in the Old Testament. You guys have your Bibles. Go to Deuteronomy 11.18. What I found really amazing is, is that there's, there is, is, is so much in the Mosaic law about parents and their children. But uh, I want to share this one with you guys today. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. The context is the law, basically. Understanding, fix in your hearts and minds how to walk with God, okay? Tie them as symbols on your hands and tie them onto your foreheads. 
Of course, we know that that's actually what they did, literally. They actually began to put the, the law on their foreheads and on their wrists. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your, of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be in the land of the Lord, swore to give you and your ancestors. Now, what, what, what really struck me about that verse is, is how uh, Jehovah is instructing the Jews. He's instructing the parents. In all times, when you're sitting down, when you're walking, when you wake, when you go to sleep, at all times with your children, be passing on to them. Be stirring up in them the ways of the Lord. At all times, we are to be cultivating, to be provoking our children to following Jesus. You know, that's the New Testament translation, if you would. But at all times, the, the, the primary focus of, of a Christian parent is to, in all ways, at all times, be stirring up in them a relationship with God. But if we pause and if we begin to look at ourselves with our kids, the way we react to them in the car when they're screaming, the way that we react when the kids are fine, the way we react, you know, when we come home after a long day at work and we just want to put the TV on or, you know, pull the phone out, you know, all of these different, when we rise, when we wake, our entire day full of interactions with our children, are we instilling, are we stirring up, are we pulling out of them the ways of God or are we pulling and stirring something else? Amens, right? That one's like, gosh, can we get to the how we fix it part? Now, with that understanding, I want to talk a little bit about some of the main ways we do this. Now, we, under, we understand this. We understand that what God's called us to do is that at all times, 24-7, okay, at 24-7, we are to be modeling and stirring up in our children the ways of God. Basically, modeling what it looks like to walk with Jesus. But we know that what happens is, because most of our lives revolve around other things outside of God, those are the things we are bringing home and stirring up in our children. If what consumes your life is stress or worry or fear or ambition or whatever it is, those same things we pass to your children. It's that simple. The things that matter most, the things that float to the top of your heart, are the things that you're passing into your children. And it's not hard to see that in generations. It's not hard to look to a family and you, you see, you know, uh, uh, some parents who, who really cared most about education or they cared most about finance or they cared most about whatever it was, okay, work or whatever. And their children came right in the same footsteps. The children weren't identical, but those same priorities, those same, those same things, those same seeds were being sown into their children. When you see parents who are full of strife and stress, you see kids who are hard to deal with. We'll just say that, right? When you see parents who, who know how to communicate, who have healthy relationships, who, who understand peace, and you see it in the children. These are the things that we are cultivating in our children. And so what I want to talk about, if you're taking notes, I want to get some of the main ways that we as parents do harm to our children. Now understand, every one of these things are things that parents who love their kids do. I'm, we're not talking about bad parents this morning. 
We're not talking about parents who don't care about their kids. We're talking only about parents who love their kids and accidentally are stumbling into these mistakes. And there's not a single parent in this room who hasn't stumbled into one of these. All right? Now, we could probably do weeks on this because there's so many different ways that we can, you know, make mistakes as parents. But these are the primary ways we see. If you guys are taking notes. Here's the first one, which I am very guilty of. Volcano parenting. When exterior pressures trigger interior wounds, leading our anger and pain to erupt onto our children. Whenever we are late to church, it's our first Sunday preaching in a long time, and we're putting the kids in the car, and that kid just poops his pants right when I put him in the chair. And Daddy doesn't like to sweat, and it's hot. I said, Liam, why did you poop your pants? And he looks at me and goes, couldn't you just wait till we got to the church? So this morning, I had this, I had this moment with Liam. And in that moment, you know, because he has his little signs, so I knew I could smell it. I was going to pick him up, and I was like, why did you? And in the moment that I'm about to yell or something, I just said, all right. <laughs> he just had to walk him around and change the diaper. Here's what happens with this kind of stuff, okay? What happens here, we have to understand, is that there are things inside of you, okay? There are some wounds and hurts and insecurities that you gained from your childhood, Okay? And what happens, uh, who's seen Finding Nemo? Finding Dory came out, by the way. That's awesome. Just go see it. Finding Nemo, all right? Okay. There's the shark scene. Do you guys like, know what I'm talking about? Like the Sharks Anonymous? Like something like that? Like they're all talking about, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Have to make sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Not crazy. Okay. So, you know, uh, the, big, the big giant great white shark, he smells blood and goes crazy. He's trying to eat Nemo. No, he's not trying to eat Nemo. Whatever. You get it. Okay, so, so he's going nuts, he's trying to eat him, it's like the other shark's trying to hold him back. Uh, this is going nowhere fast, I know. And so what happens though, it's, it's all taking place in this ship or submarine that's been sunk. But all around it are these mines, right? These big giant spike balls that are attached to the, the ocean floor, right? And, and these mines, and the issue is, what happens is, because of all this commotion, something sets the mine off. And now there's a bigger problem. What happens is, internally, we all have these minds. We have these sensitive areas, these, these little pockets of frustration and anger and disappointment and pain. And it just takes a slight ripple, a slight wave to set that sucker off. And whoever's around us is going to catch it. Now, if you guys have had children or spouses or you know, friends at all, okay, the people close to us are the ones who typically are the ones who set things off, right? And when you have children, typically they have no idea that you have a bunch of minds, which they will learn eventually, right? Stay away from dad, okay. Um, and what happens is it's the slightest thing. The slightest thing sets things off. I had the situation with my kids. I, I got to stop telling you stories, but I had this, this, this situation nine months ago. I'll tell myself, you can't tell anyone I said this. So I was with the kids, and I was working on a sermon. It's always church stuff, right? I have to quit. I have to quit this. And what happens is my oldest son, who's potty trained, he, he never makes any mistakes in that area, right? He's, he's running around playing, and, and I just told him, I said, son, do you need, you know, to go to the bathroom? No, I'm good. 30 seconds later, I hear that noise. Do you guys know what I'm talking about, that sound when someone just pings straight on a hard surface? You know, like... It, it doesn't sound like any other noise. You know what it is. Okay, a dog or a human is now peeing somewhere they shouldn't be peeing. 
I heard that noise, and I turned, I saw it, and he's just looking at me, which by the way, he was just, you know, like, I, I gotta go. The dogs had even stopped, and were looking at me like, it wasn't us. And I got so mad, and I happened to have my phone in my hand, this phone, and he's over here in the corner, and, you know, I have this huge couch, and behind the couch is the windows, and so I just chunked my phone at the couch. Again, he's here. I'm not throwing it at my child, okay, just at the, the big, soft couch. And then we hear the And the front window is broken out. You guys can't see it from where you are. My phone is curved like this. It still works, by the way. But the window didn't. And so for nine months... Everyone who came to our house, walked by the house, drove by the house, saw this big piece of cardboard from a Pampers diaper box. <laughs> I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit spoke to me every single day <laughs> through that little cutout of that baby's butt. <laughs> I'd just walk into the living room and just see that. And No more stories about me, by the way. We're done. And, you know, again, I mean, what he did was not that big a deal. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, you know, he needed to be corrected for it. But it wasn't that big a deal. But he just happened to cause a ripple, which set something off, which is already in place. And what came out of that, you know, again, didn't have anything to do with him. So here's what's happening here. Okay, so whenever we begin to, to parent volcano style, okay, volcano parenting, here's the fruit of it. Our unhealed wounds are passed down to our children, poisoning our relationship with them and removing their sense of safety. If you are a parent who has these pockets, these little hidden areas of hurt and offense and pain, it might, it might uh, erupt as anger or as guilt or shaming, there's all sorts of different ways that it, that it kind of you know, looks like in different people. But if you have these unhealed pockets of wounds from the past, your children, if you continue to cause these things to erupt onto your children, what's going to happen is, first of all, that, that feeling of safety with you will be lost. One of the most important things for our kids to have with us is a sense of safety. Because when there's safety, there can be communication, and there can be correction, there can be comforting, all the things that we are supposed to do for our children. But when safety is lost, our ability to be there and to parent them is also lost. Volcano parenting is so dangerous because if we don't catch it soon enough, it is almost impossible to repair. It takes a very long time. And often, if you guys were adults in this room and you guys had, you know, had a parent who was volatile, you understand even as an adult, it takes time to repair the trust. And so what happens is that that parent is not the first one that you go to anymore. If you had one parent who was very stable and the other one who was throwing their phones across the living room, okay, you probably learned to go to the other parent when you needed something, when you were hurting, when you needed to talk to someone. And again, your relationship with that one parent will grow and with the other one, will not. We have to be very mindful if we're, if we're operating or exercising in this kind of parenting. 
Hey, a sermon popped up. It's the wrong one. Okay. Anyways. All right. Driver's Ed Parenting. Driver's Ed Parenting. Guys ever been driver's ed at, at the steering wheel on the other side? Okay, so like the, the kids, in, you know, he's in the right, he's in the correct seat to drive, but when you're in the passenger seat, you've got a wheel and a brake and gas. You, no? And you guys are driving? You didn't have driver's ed? <laughs> That's scary. Okay. Here's what happens here. We live vicariously through them, exerting pressure and expectations as we try to live the life we truly wanted through them. It's supposed to be time for our kids to, to be in the driver's seat and to drive and to experience and to learn, but we always find ourselves taking over the wheel. And what happens is typically, it, if you have had a life or if you have a life that you're not happy with, which is a lot of us, okay, just being honest with yourself, if you're not happy with the life you have, it is a temptation for you to live that life you always wanted through your child. Whenever I played sports, I always found it really weird that you had these parents who obviously were not super gifted or, you know, uh, very good at sports, would have said it nicely, and they would be the hardest ones on their kids. What are you yelling at them for? You never played the sport in your life. But they would just be hounding and pressuring and yelling at their kids, you know, and you'd be like, what is going on? And, and again, what happens here is, you know, as we are constantly taking the wheel of their life, we are trying to, again, to live through them. So what happens here, the fruit of this kind of parenting, what we do is we actually teach our children that our love is attached to achievement and behavior. It's attached to, to them being who we desire them to be. Actually, that's not the right notes because the sermon on this phone is not the most recent one. So what's it say up there? Oh, here we go. You guys are like, what is he talking about? Okay. We create... Oh, you guys can read. It's very simple, though. Again, if we are constantly trying to live through them, if we're constantly trying to, to push them and to, to control them, and, you know, we want them to go to this college or, you know, to, to, to do this job or blah, 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 blah. If we're constantly trying to live through them, we're micromanaging our children. And that strife and stress, when they get to a certain point, they will detach and separate themselves from you. You might not have to worry about it when they're five or ten, but the day will come when they will separate themselves from you just to get breathing room. And again, the issue is once that harm is done, to, to repair it is very difficult. Here's the next one. Monument parenting. Slightly different. Here's what happens here. We parent narcissistically, meaning it's all about us, exerting pressure and expectations, demanding our children match our, our accomplishments, and we fear that their failure would actually make, make it look bad on us. So it's a lot like uh, trying to live through our children, but it's different. This is for every one of you who, who is very proud of things you've accomplished. You know, you accomplish a lot in sports or very successful in business. And so what you want is you want your child to live up to that. Because there's this idea that if my child isn't as good at sports as I was, if they aren't as successful, if they're not as smart as I was, if they don't do the things I did, it's going to hurt my reputation. Now that sounds stupid, right? It does sound stupid, Matthew. You're right. But it's real. I was not a great... 
with sports. We'll say that. I am already fearing sports for my children. Let's just be honest about it, okay? I don't want my kids to start playing sports. My uncle, he's been hounding me to get Jude uh, in, in, into T-ball, and I am just so hesitant because I know how I'm wired. I don't want to be that dad, that guy. You know what I'm talking about? The guy who's like, you know, you know uh, here's the home plate. I, I, don't, I don't want to be the guy behind the chain just like yelling at my son, you know. Watch the ball. Don't swing at that. You know, you know, come on. Have you been to a game? I don't want to be the guy who's out, you know, on the field arguing with the coach. You, know? you should have put my kids, you know. I don't, I don't want to do that, but I know how I'm wired. I know how I'm wired. And I am so saying, Lord, please do some work in me before we get to that point. Because what's going to happen is if I don't do that, I'll be uber passive. I'll be the parent on the side just... And, and I don't want to do that either. I want to be somewhere in the middle, you know. And again, so what happens here is very similar to the vicarious living through our kids. What happens is we are constantly pushing our kids to accomplish the things that we accomplish. We're constantly trying to raise the bar for them. And again, what happens to this is we begin to create a broken image of love to our children. Our children begin to understand love is attached to achievement, to doing, to works. And of course, if our children begin to believe that they are loved because of what they do, that's going to get transferred to their marriage, and they're going to begin to express love to their spouse by what? Things they do or don't do. It's going to get passed down to all of the you know, different relationships they have. It's a very dangerous road for us to go down there. Uh, and you know, here's the last one that a lot of us are kind of guilty of. Bubble parenting. Any bubble parents here? Like, you know, your idea is just to put the child in a bubble and just kind of like roll them to school. You know what I'm talking about? Homeschooling. You know, I'm, just, I'm messing. I'm joking. Kidding. I was homeschooled for a while. It's a great thing. I'm just messing around with people. It's just like deflating my tires or something after service. If God leads you to homeschool, homeschool. Amen. Okay. So what happens with bubble parenting, okay? What happens here is uh, we determine in our own strength to protect our children from the harm that we experience or the harm that we fear. And we do it by sheltering and, you know, trying to insulate them from the world. Now, what's so dangerous about this is not that we're not supposed to protect our children. It's that we are doing it in our own strength, okay? And so what happens from this is the odds are if you are trying to insulate and protect your child, it's not coming from a place of love or wisdom, it's coming from a place of fear. When you begin to operate in fear, what happens is fear will drive you to do things that love would never drive you to do. Did you hear that? If you're taking notes, you need that one for everything in your life. Fear will drive you to do things that love would never drive you to do. And so what happens with fear is we begin to use different techniques and methods to protect our children that's actually harmful for them. So what happens with this the fruit of it is we become so determined to protect our children that we use guilt, coercion, fear, that's fear-mongering, it's not fear and then mongering, um, and other, <laughs> um, you know, unhealthy methods. Um, one person I know, um, you know, he's just a sweet, sweet person, but his parents were so fearful. I mean, they were just... 
trying to protect him from every possible thing. And it was the weirdest thing that, that, that I've seen. I mean, like, he actually began to come down with these weird sicknesses and illnesses. And the doctors couldn't explain anything. Uh, and the, but you would, you would talk to this person, and he was just afraid of every little thing. Never left the house. The older this person got, the more secluded they became. Now, this is an extreme version, okay? But what happened was this person, because of the fear that their parents were espousing, it was being kind of seeds of fear were being sown into this child. And the older this child got, the more that this fear was growing and consuming them. And what happens with us as parents, again, whenever we are led by fear, we begin to just to use coercion or guilt or shaming um, again. We begin to poison the relationship with our children because, because fear will drive us to do anything that we think will keep them safe. Anything. And so when it comes time for our kids to go to college or to get married, we will find any way to get in there. And so again, what happens is the ability for our children to trust us, the safety gets slowly just kind of eaten away whenever we begin to turn to these methods that, again, that love would never turn us to. And so, in essence, whenever we begin to, to, to operate through this idea of trying to protect our children in this bubble, we actually begin to sow seeds of fear and doubt. Children who grew up in these environments tend to, tend to have extremely low self-worth, low self-esteem. And what happens whenever you have a child with low self-esteem and they finally get out into the world, it's a dangerous place. So, again, you know, all of us have have kind of touched on different areas here in the way that, that we've parented our children. But the idea is very simple. We have to find that balance of being able to protect our children, but also being careful what things we allow to transfer into them. So if you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, Deuteronomy 4.9. I want to make sure these notes are correct. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy 4.9. Here's what it says to parents. So give heed to yourself, meaning pay attention to yourself, and keep your soul diligently. Let's pause right there. So the command of God to parents is to invest time and attention into yourself. And you need to learn how to tend your soul. Okay, so again, it's like gardening, right? The idea is to garden your soul. And here's why. So that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, that they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. And again, I understand it was, it was lost a bit there, but what it's saying is this. You need to be so diligent to make sure that you are tending and caring for your soul, for yourself, that internally you are taking care of the worries, the fears, the hurts, and the pains so that you are passing the right things on to your children and on to your grandchildren. And so in chapter 11, it's telling us to pass on the instructions of God, but chapter 4 is telling us to be very careful to take care of what's already in there first. If you do not take care of what's in you, what you will be passing on to your children and your grandchildren is already tainted. And so when it comes to this, you know, we've had kind of a downer with all these different ways that we've kind of, you know, we're worrying we've, you know, messed up our kids, right? But what happens in this is that we see that 
the way that we start, the way we start to turn the tide, the way we start to kind of heal uh, the things in us and our children is it starts in one place. It starts an honest self-study. Now, of course, you know, the Old Testament, the words used there was to be diligent, to pay attention to yourself. But when you take time to honestly look yourself in the mirror, not physically, okay? I'm not telling you guys to go home and, you know, in the mirror. Emotionally, if you would, mentally, spiritually, take time to evaluate what is going on inside of you. Here's what it looks like. What it looks like is when you have that blow up, whenever you take that phone and you break that window, you take time and say, what in the world just happened and why did it happen? Understand this. We can talk about prayer and the Holy Spirit and, and scriptures all day long, but there's one thing you need to learn, to ask yourself the question, why? The scriptures always assume honesty. In the book of James, whenever he's talking about how we pursue God, he talks about the importance of the Word of God as a mirror and how if we would just draw near to God, this idea that we would be honest with the things that the Word of God shows us, honest with the things that the Holy Spirit shows us. And the problem is it's not that God doesn't speak. It's not that the Scriptures don't show us things. It's that we are not honest and willing to accept what we see. And The Biggest Loser... You guys ever watch that show, The Biggest Loser? No one watches TV or Facebook or anything in this, this whole church. My goodness. Just some smoke signals, you know, this week. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Okay. In that show, it, uh, my favorite part is not the reveals at the end. My favorite part is the first day, which, which is probably like the worst for everyone to watch. It's really painful. What happens is, you know, th- these contestants are dressed next to nothing, and they have, to, they have to stand in this room with mirrors. There's mirrors all around. And they have to stand there for like, I'm not sure how long, it's like 10 minutes or something. They have to stand there and just look at themselves. And they can't escape it. There's mirrors all around. And, and so it always starts, and, you know, the defense mechanisms, if you would, the walls are always up when they first walk into the room. And so they walk in, and like the first person will just laugh. <laughs> That's terrible. You know, I mean, again, what else are you going to do with it? I don't know. And, and, and so like they sit there and just go, I'm 600 pounds, I'm 800 pounds, I'm, you know, I am not healthy. And it takes time to set in for each person, though. You know, again, uh, some people takes a minute, some people takes the entire time. Eventually, they will accept what they see. But that's the hardest part. And the people in the show who succeed are the ones who take that first day the hardest. The ones who allow what they see to seep into their hearts and their minds. Because then they're willing to change. The hardest part about Christianity, the kind of Christianity most of us have grown up in, is that we've been taught to pray things away, to speak things away, and there's power in both those things. But you have to understand something. The gospel and following Jesus is all about intention and choice. Meaning, we have to choose to do something different. And so, becoming better parents starts with learning to be honest and to study ourselves. You've got to learn to spend time evaluating yourself by the Word of God through prayer, with mentors, with, with friends. Allow these things that sting to set in. I used to hate criticism. I used to hate criticism because I was always so insecure because of my age or that someone just, you know, they didn't respect me or, or whatever. 
Now, I take criticism from anyone. I love, it still hurts like crazy. I still want to defend myself. I still want to argue and tell the person they're wrong. But I love anything that stings. Because I know if I just, if, if I hold it long enough, if I look at it, if I evaluate it, if I allow it just to, there's probably something in there I need to see. If you would sit in that room with the mirrors right now, allow yourself to accept, I just threw the phone through the window. I pastor a church in Alma. Everyone's going to ask me when they come over to my house, why is that window broken? What am I going to say? We had like a core meeting, I think it was like that week. So like all the leaders in the church were coming over that week, and they all asked me, what's the cardboard? What's the Pampers box for? I didn't say a word, by the way, for months. I was like, well, you know. They're like, what? No, you know. Not talking about it. That's what it means. But eventually, when you allow that to seep in, you're ready to change. Here's the next step. After we do some honest self-study with the Holy Spirit, with our, with our uh, relationships, with the Scriptures, the next thing is this. Get help. Get help. You in your prayer closet is not enough. I will tell you that right now. It is not enough. This is the reason the church exists. Because you are not allowed by Jesus to get through anything without the body of Christ. Get help. If it's just your life group or some friends, some close people who you can trust, if you need counseling, if, if you need people to come and pray with you, whatever you need, get the help you need because things will not change until you're willing to do that. People who have not accepted truth, who haven't allowed the image of, of what they see in the mirrors to sink in, those people are not willing to seek out help. When someone comes to counseling, the first question I begin to ask is, how much help are you willing to pursue? And that always tells me where they're at. When they come in and say, oh, you know, I, I just want to come talk for, you know, five minutes about blah, 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 then I know, okay, you're not ready to move on yet. When these people come in and say, whatever I need to do, that's what I want. Those are the people who are ready to change. Get help, and then it start to, it's time to start repairing your relationships. I guarantee you, every one of us in this room has an issue with God right now. Every one of us. Every one of us has issues with our parents, with our friends, with our spouses. There are these little things. And again, I'm not saying huge issues, but some of us do have these you know, huge issues. But these are the places we have to start. The moment we are getting help, the moment that we are being honest, allowing the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to examine us, we need to begin to go to every relationship, starting with God and working our way down, and start fixing what is broken. Spend time with God and begin to talk over the areas of disappointment or frustration. Spend time with your spouse. Spend time with your, your family, your relatives, your friends, with your children. Sit them down. One of the best things that, that I do do, whatever I'm not breaking windows, is I always admit when I'm wrong to my kids. I try to at least. And if I'm not willing to, the niece will tell them for me. I, and so what happened that day, whenever I threw the phone, you know, I kind of had to walk out of the room for a few minutes. I came back and, you know, I sat Jude and Liam down. And I said, I was wrong. And, uh, it seems so simple, but there's such power in that because 
the moment that you own it, the moment that you say, that was wrong and I did that. Yes, you're teaching your children, but what's really happening is you're taking something and you're not allowing it to stay in the dark any longer. Because see, what happens is these, these pockets of, you know, hurt or pain, what happens is we keep them in the dark because we're not willing to deal with them, we're, we're ashamed of them, whatever. And it's these things, we're just not willing to bring them into the light for whatever reason. But the moment that we, that we acknowledge, we own it, and we apologize, we come back and we repent to God, we sit down with our children or our spouses, we repent, we bring these things into the light and we allow God to enter into these situations with us. If you have not been able to find healing in an area, it's because you haven't brought it into the light yet. You haven't started talking about it. You haven't started praying about it. You haven't started sharing it with people. There's something so powerful about beginning to share it, to not hide it any longer, to sit down and begin to share it. And what happens with that, once you've begun to you know, repair your relationships, what happens is it's time to form new habits. Now, I, now, I know that this doesn't sound very spiritual, um, with my boys, one of the things I do with them now is Nisa knows we sat down and prayed about this about three months ago, and we said, okay, from now on, if, if, if there's anything happening, and if one of us is acting out of anger or emotion or frustration or whatever, if we are acting uh, out of something to our kids that's not the Holy Spirit or love, we have the permission to stop the other. That's hard to give someone that kind of authority, by the way. Woo! That was loud. But we do. And, and so what happens is, and this happened the, the other day with the video, right? What happens is the moment that I begin to, to, to uh, the emotions get rolling, and I, I, I'm losing control, and I'm not, you know, I'm not even aware of it, Nisa has the ability to step in and say, hey, honey, let's go talk in the other room. It's such a powerful thing, that, because now it's not just me trying to deal with something that I've been dealing with for my entire life. Now, there's someone in it with me. And, of course, it's not just her. Now, it's her and the Holy Spirit operating to help me through something I cannot deal with on my own. And I get to do it to her, too, by the way. So, it's not just one-sided. I'm always watching. Honey, we need to go in the other room and talk. And... And it can be small things. Um, for some of you, um, you know, it might be enough to just wake up in the mornings and have, you know, 15 minutes to unwind alone. And you, you start your mornings with coffee, with the Holy Spirit, with the Scriptures, and you have God start you off and you spend time in those issues. It might be counseling. It might be, you know, whatever it is, there are some very simple new uh, patterns that we can begin to create to deal with these issues and to make sure our kids are not being affected by the stuff that's in the